The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I have to admit, friends, I thought we were in real trouble on this podcast. I record this show during my baby's, my one-year-old's midday nap, which usually runs from about 10.30 to noon or so. It looked like he was getting up early today. It seems like he's gone back down, so there may be points during the podcast where it feels like I'm going into a very loud whisper. And now you know why. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Fantasy NBA Today. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. It's May the 26th. We're almost into June. It's day eight of our basketball fantasy offseason. We had a power outage over here, so I lost my list of topics which I had foolishly typed into a notepad document, thinking, well, I'll just leave this open until the week is over. And then, right on my face, that was an egg, by the way. Egg on my face. But I do remember, luckily, that what we were going to talk about today was, first, the playoffs, because they're fun, and interesting things are happening. And then second, I think we can probably, you know, barring the child waking up again here, I think we can probably finish off our discussion on ruthlessness, which I wanted to conclude with today on the topic of how does it change our assessment of when to cut these players or hold these players, depending on when during the season their injuries occur. It's kind of interesting, too, because uh, with some of the other head honchos here at Hoopball. We were looking at some different visualizations of things and visualizing when injuries happen and then for how long is actually a really useful tool for this analysis, but it's also really useful for making decisions on who you're drafting. Because we all have these ideas in our head of when guys got hurt and how badly they got hurt. But it's often it often doesn't really parallel the reality of the whole thing, like we've been talking a bunch about Kemba Walker, and he ended up missing the equivalent of like two months of games. Really, only one of those months happened as a chunk. The rest of it was all a game here and there. It was like a game every other week for the duration, or almost every week, as I hear the child whimpering. So we may be, we may be doing this podcast in two distinct chunks, but in any event, welcome to the show uh, Fantasy NBA Today, of course, is a hoop ball presentation. That's hoop-ball.com. I am your host, Dan Bespris. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Yes, the R is in the second half of my last name. You can also just Google search Dan from Hoop Ball. That'll get you there the easy way. Please do follow me on Twitter if you haven't already. Please do drop a five-star review on the podcast if you haven't already. And uh, keep sticking with us here through the offseason. This is, again, when we sort of plant our flag in a lot of research and ideas that power boost our strategy going into each subsequent fantasy basketball season. First things first, let's talk playoff action. Yesterday was fun for a couple of teams. It was very not fun for the Boston Celtics, who got smoked by the Nets, 130-108. to Brooklyn, we knew someone was going to score in this game after nobody could in the first one. Thought maybe both teams would a little bit, but it really was a lopsided everything. Turnover battle was close. Free throw battle. Brooklyn won it. Rebounding Brooklyn. 
shooting Brooklyn, three-pointers Brooklyn. And that was really the game. I mean, 10% shooting and five three-pointers, that was the ball game. 10% of the shots was making basically an extra nine-ish field goals. That's your 15 to 20 points right there. Throw another five on top of that and a few more made free throws, even though they attempted basically the same amount. And this was a runaway. Pretty early, in fact. So now the series flips back to Boston. And the question becomes, of course, can the Celtics actually get something done? They don't play again until Friday. NBA's gone back to this very long, drawn-out playoff format instead of going every other day. Boston is a seven-point underdog at home. That's a big number. That's reflective of how the last game looked. Total of 228 after the last one hit 238. But we always go back to the pace, which can often tell us quite a bit. Doesn't always work. Because as we talked about in the last one, the pace of this ballgame was actually, or, or their first ball game was expected to be not that far from where it ended up. This one, because of Brooklyn shooting the ball so well, they overperformed their number by a lot. Their expected number was about 113 or so. They went over that by 17 points. Celtics were the other direction. Celtics were expected to have something like 118, 119. They undershot that by 10 or 11. So the pace of this ballgame was actually an overclip. But we also have to bear in mind that when a team falls behind by a whole bunch, the way that Boston did, they're going to start chucking. They're going to start taking shots quicker and try to ramp up the speed that they can get into a ballgame. They can't, they can't afford to mess around. So th- these games where a team gets out to a big lead or just keeps scoring, it forces the other team to play into that mode. Blowouts in the playoffs uh, actually seem to end up going over more than under. It's sort of an interesting little footnote. In fact, all three games yesterday went over the posted total, although I do have thoughts on that Lakers... Phoenix conclusion uh, when the teams took like 15 free throws in the last 45 seconds. That was a that was a ball game that was very much headed for a deep under, and the referees helped push it up and over the mark. So a bit of a lucky break for overbetters in that middle one. The other ones were headed over right from the outset. If Brooklyn's getting their footing, I don't really see a huge reason why they should slow down all that much. You know, Joe Harris hitting seven three-pointers, that's probably not something you see every ball game. But, like, Kyrie Irving didn't even have to do all that much. And Harden was efficient, and Durant was efficient, and these guys are going to make their free throws. And there just isn't a whole lot that Boston can do to slow them down. Time Lord is their best option. He was in foul trouble. So you throw Tristan Thompson in there, and he's just going to get cooked by these guys going towards the rim. There, there's just no... I, I guess there's a chance of a gentleman's sweep in this series, but... Boston hasn't really looked to me like they even want to be there. Tatum left this ballgame with an injury to his right eye, but they were getting blown out. So I bet he probably plays in their next one, which again isn't until Friday. But if you're looking at that thing, you probably take a look at Boston catching a ton of points at home and say maybe, and then likely leave it alone. And then you probably look at the total of that ballgame, which again, uh, only adjusted up by one point. And you say, okay, well, look, the pace of this last one had it ratcheted out to about 231. If it's not a massive blowout and the teams can actually walk the ball up and take care of their possessions instead of one team just racing to try to get back into the ballgame, the pace is probably going to slow down quite a bit. So I would look at the under in their next one. But of course, we can talk a bit more about that on actual Friday. 
Lakers beat the Suns 109-102. Lakers were a one-and-a-half point favorite, so they covered. Game went over the posted total by a half point, thanks to the two teams combining to take 61 free throws in that ball game, including about 20 of them in the last minute. Uh, Devin Booker went 17 for 17 at the foul line. Anthony Davis went 18 for 21. Uh, AD looked a whole hell of a lot better in this one. LeBron still, I know he hit a dagger three, and he made four threes, and he had nine assists, but only four rebounds for Bron. Not taking the ball to the rim right now. He only took one free throw. This was really the AD and Dennis Schroeder show for the most part. KCP wasn't involved in it a whole lot either. On the Phoenix side, Chris Paul is not at all healthy. I would argue LeBron isn't really healthy either, but he's certainly closer than CP3 is. Campaign filled in admirably, had a hell of a ball game before fouling out in 33 minutes. DeAndre Ayton played really well again. Devin Booker played pretty well. I mean, honestly, he wasn't that great before all the free throws power boosted his scoring at the end of the ball game. He was in the low 20s and not doing a whole lot else, and they're going to need him to do more unless Chris Paul can claw his way back to, I don't know, closer to health over the next couple of days. By the way, we're going to be sprinting here to get through this stuff, and then we'll probably do the rest of it uh, of the podcast a little bit later on because it looks like the baby is deciding to cut his nap a little bit short. Uh, that Phoenix-Lakers game is tomorrow. They only have the one day off between ball games. Lakers favored by seven at home with a total, again, of 210.5. I would very much look at another under, although there's a chance here that with it going to L.A., does the pace flip a little bit? Because the pace of this ballgame was super slow. Again, up until those free throws at the very end, this one didn't look like it had any chance of getting over the mark. Lakers were on pace to uh, put up about 99, or excuse me, Phoenix was on target for about 99 points. Based on pace, they went over the mark because they hit so many free throws. Lakers uh, were in the neighborhood of about 102, so they actually went over the mark a little bit, again, largely because of free throws at the very end. I don't think you see that same stuff in the next one. I mean, the, the, the pace of this game had it right around 200 points, and with Chris Paul not healthy and LeBron not really fully healthy, I don't really see how it gets to that mark again. Like, this seemed like kind of the high watermark for this series, barring... The Lakers going three-point nuts or Phoenix going three-point nuts. But you can see the way the Lakers are defending the Suns. And they're they're not really giving up the wide-open outside shot. They're forcing people into a very large set of centers the Lakers have and kind of daring Phoenix to beat them that way. And then clever passing has gotten DeAndre Ayton open a couple of times because of bad rotations. But I still like the under in these games. And if you followed our logic from our Friday podcast, you may have bet nothing on the first game and then taken the Lakers for the series after going down 0-1 because LeBron always seems to go down 0-1 these days. And the final game last night, the Clippers lost to the Mavericks 127-121. Dallas was shooting 65% for most of this ballgame before missing a few shots late, late, late in the fourth quarter. That's the only thing that pushed them under 60% for the ballgame. Mavericks also missed 11 free throws. They had 18 threes. There was a long stretch. I don't know if it ended this way. I'm not really that important to pull it up. But there was a long stretch of this ballgame where the Mavs were shooting better from three-point percent from three-point line than they were at the free-throw line. Only 11 turnovers. Clippers had a pretty damn good offensive game themselves. They shot 54% and lost 
out-rebounded the Mavs 39-34, but it didn't do him a whole lot of good. For Dallas, six more threes from Tim Hardaway, three more from Chris Dops, five for Luka. It's a damn clinic right now. I had this game pegged completely wrong. I thought it was going under. And by all accounts, it should have. The Clippers' pace dictated them at about 107. The Mavericks' pace dictated them at about 105. Mavs went over their expected pace total by 22. The Clippers over their expected pace total by 14. This game went over the normal result of a game at this speed by almost 40 points. And at a 248, this game probably should have ended in the 210 to 220 range. So that's why when we saw 216, I thought, all right, great. You know, first game at a pace of about 210. They've still given us a little bit of wiggle room here. We'll go under. Clippers, I figured, would make some kind of adjustment to what the Mavs were doing. Mavs maybe make some kind of adjustment to what the Clippers were doing. And instead, nobody guarded anyone. Yo, anybody know this is a playoff game? Apparently not. I'd go back to the well on the under. I, I don't think the Clippers want this type of ball game again. This is this is not at all what they were looking for. Total boosted way up to 220 now for game three. And again, given that pace was about 210 again in yesterday's ball game, we're just creating more wiggle room. So hell yeah, I'll probably go back to the well for that game on Friday. Clippers favored by one and a half on the road in Dallas. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, this is the moment where you're like, I don't I don't trust the Clippers to do anything at all. But this is probably the game that they win in their next one, so whatever. Uh, tonight, Washington is at Philadelphia. Philly is favored by eight, total of 229 in that ballgame. These two teams haven't played since Sunday when Philly won it, 125-118. That total, of course, was 243 points. Uh, Washington shot the ball exceptionally well. Philly just sort of beat them with offense, and I would generally leave a ball game like this alone because I don't think Philly got tested. And until you get tested, you're not really going to be that inspired to ratchet up your defense. So I might look at the over again, potentially. Not my favorite play on the board. Um, and unless we think Philly really does hunker down, then you probably look at Washington to stay close again. The Knicks are favored by two. Everyone expects them to bounce back and get this second one. I don't think the Hawks are satisfied with one. I don't like the side in this ballgame. I like Atlanta more than New York in the series. You guys know that about... I've been talking about that for a while. Uh, Trey Young, of course, that monster game winner. Last one ended at 212, the total. Almost no free throws at all in that ballgame. Trey Young took nine. The Hawks, as a team, took 12. Knicks only had 15. Very low turnovers. Very low free throws. I don't expect the shooting to be all that much better but I do expect there to be a few more foul shots taken. It's going to be a relatively low-scoring affair, usually. Um, but with that one at 212, which just barely went under, they didn't have to move the number all that much for this thing. They brought it down by about a half point. Um, I think that's pretty accurate, actually. I might eyeball the over if you think there are going to be enough free throws to push it that way, but that would be the one element of handicapping that you probably take into account. And then Memphis at Utah. Jazz are favored by nine and a half. Donovan Mitchell set to make his return. I would fade the crap out of that. Not that I think Memphis wins another ball game, but Utah being favored by 10 
with Mitchell playing his first game in like two damn months. No way, man. That's going to create more trouble. Not more trouble than it's worth because obviously they need him long term. I think the Jazz win a tight one here. I like Memphis to cover again, but not win outright. And the last one, total of 219, uh, or sorry, the last one finished at 221. It went over the posted total of 216 and a half. I might look at the under if you think Donovan Mitchell creates a level of disjointedness, although that ball game moved pretty damn fast. Memphis took 100 shots in that first one. <laughs> that's a lot. Woo, that's a lot. So their pace was actually set to be about 120. Jazz were... Uh, somewhere in the 110 range. So that one probably could have gone higher. I would look at the under, if only because I think there will be some disjointedness on the Utah side, but I also think they'll hit some threes and you'll see. Uh, man, it's tough to know if the pace is going to change all that much. So, uh, let, lean to the Memphis side of of all the stuff going on on the card today. I like the Memphis side. Um and I sort of like that the Hawks-Knicks over, although it's possible the Knicks might even try to slow the game down more than that last one was. So that one feels a little bit dicey to me. If you want a place to drop all these wagers into the bucket, why not check out mybookie.ag? Hit me up before you open up your brand new account. I have a prize for you. That's all I'm going to say on this show. You don't even need to know where to go. All you need to know is, hey, do I want a free prize without having to do anything at all? If the answer to that question is yes, then hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, and I will get you your free prize. It's a no-brainer, man. MyBookie.ag, our partners here at HoopBall. Ooh, can't wait until football comes rolling back around and they give us some of them odds boosts. Ooh, yeah. You better get your stuff set up before that happens, or you're in real trouble with me, at Dan Bespris. I'll be mad at you. But let's shift gears now into the actual fantasy discussion for today, and that is how these injury timelines change based on how far into the season the injuries happen. And the initial, the inclination we all have, which is the deeper you are into the season, the bigger deal they are, is accurate. But how much? And what does each juncture really mean? You know, what if we're talking like one week into the season? What if we're talking a month into the season? Things of that nature, they actually matter. Because as we determined earlier this week on our Monday and Tuesday shows, guys that are in the uh, eight-week timetable, if it was just eight weeks out of an entire season, if it was someone inside about the top 45 to top 50, you probably hang on to them. Same deal for... Six weeks, the cutoff was like around the 75 mark. And four-week absences were kind of around the 90 to 95 mark. So that one didn't actually put a, a big dent into things. But let's look at it from a different standpoint. And this is actually easier because we can, we can use any season. We don't need the full 82 games. We just need a chunk. What if we look at the last three months of this season? where the most games any team or most games any player could possibly have gotten into would be somewhere in the neighborhood of about 42 to 45 games, somewhere along those lines. It's like we said, they're, they're playing a little bit less than a game every other day. What is the, what, uh, I mean, and, and 
I mean, you could pick any three-month date range. Go from the uh, first day of the season this year, which was December the 22nd. Take that to March 22nd. That's fine. I don't care. Like, it, it really doesn't matter. I think Nikola Jokic, she played 42 games over that stretch. I think 43 was the most. A couple of teams just had a heavier schedule. Like John Collins played 43 games or something of that nature. Okay, so now we've shortened the season to effectively 12 or 13 weeks. We're looking at uh, the first half here for this example. But let's, for all intents and purposes, let's just pretend this is the second half of a normal season. About 12 or 13 weeks is about half a normal 82-game season. About 40 games or so they'll play over that span. So what if you have someone who suffers an injury with only half the season remaining? Where do the cutoffs change? Well, clearly, you can't hold someone for eight of the remaining 12 to 13 weeks. You can't do it. It would never work. And a good example of that would be uh, you, you can look as, as far up the board as you want. Someone who only played four of these initial 12 weeks is C.J. McCollum. He played a, he actually played more like five of these initial 12 weeks. He played 17 games, so that was more than you were getting. McCollum was number 16 on a per-game basis, but by totals, he was number 156. So this is one of the very best players in the NBA over those first five weeks he was playing, and even still, you could not hold him missing seven or eight of the 12 weeks. So there is literally no player in the NBA that's worth holding. Maybe you could talk about, like, the, the top 10. Like, what, Kevin Durant played 19 of this potential 42 or 43 or whatever we're talking about. So even that, that's actually well over uh, four weeks. That's, that's missing more like, uh, it's like seven. And I mean, I guess this is, this is really more like 13 weeks instead of 12. So I, I guess we need to adjust our numbers a little bit there, but that's like Durant playing, uh, just under six out of the 13 weeks. He was number six on a per game basis and obviously took a fat fall down to number 105 by totals. So that is really, that's the cutoff. The number six player. So there's really almost nobody. There's approximately six to eight guys in the NBA where if they got hurt uh, with three months to go in the season and the timetable was they'll be back in about two months, there's about eight guys you'd hang on to. What about someone over that stretch missing six weeks out of those 13 instead of eight out of those 13. Uh, it's, it's not that dissimilar, actually. Uh, Christian Wood is a perfect example of that. He missed almost exactly half of the games that his team played over that first three months of the season. He was number 19 on a per-game basis, but by totals, he drops to number 120. So the cutoff for missing six weeks is, it's not in the top eight, but it is like top 20 for a six-week absence over that stretch. And then what about somebody who's missing four weeks? So this is someone who played, uh, in this particular example, 
I guess that would be about 29-ish out of the 42 games, somewhere in that neck of the woods. Unfortunately, there aren't a ton of examples of guys in that neck of the woods. Jimmy Butler, number nine, on a per-game basis, played in 29 games over that stretch. He falls to number 34, so obviously he stays in. What about somebody a bit farther down the board that played in about 29-ish or thereabouts? Again, we're finding guys that are close to that number because we can't just create a guy. Uh, What about, say... Ah, geez. Unfortunately, there aren't that many of them. Kristaps Porzingis played in 26 games, and he was number 28 on a per-game basis, and the Zinger was number 94 by total. So he's still in, although that's a bit more, that's a bit less, actually, than the 29 we were looking for. So he would have been well inside the hold line as number, he was top 30, uh, and if he played another three games, it really wouldn't have been all that close. The next one down the board that actually gets anywhere near our projected number is Michael Porter Jr., who was number 44 on a per-game basis over this stretch. He played in 32 games, so he missed about three-ish weeks instead of four. Uh, and Michael Porter Jr. was number 72. But if you pull another three games away from that, he probably falls more into the 82 to 85 range. And now we're starting to figure out that we're getting close to the cutoff on the guys missing a month out of three months remaining in the season. Larry Nance Jr. played 26 games after that stretch without even looking. He was number 60, by the way, on a per-game basis over that stretch. Without even looking, I would tell you he's probably going to be on the outside looking in. Yeah. If you give him three extra games, he probably gets closer. Uh, Victor Oladipo actually is someone who played 29 games over that stretch. He was number 119 on a totals basis. Uh, and he was number 78 on a per-game basis. So that's probably our best barometer there. He was just on the outside looking in. You probably go maybe about a round earlier and call it like 65-ish or so. It's probably your cutting point for somebody missing four out of a 12- or 13-week stretch. And the reason this is important is to answer a couple of questions. First, at what point is there just no reason in hanging on to a guy? And it's really, I think this is a really surprising note because, and as we need to add this footnote again, this is not if you're going to put someone on your injured list. That's, obvi- that's a very easy decision and one you should be making. This is if you're spilling over into your head-to-head league and you're taking zeros. At what point do you just say, I'm better off playing almost anyone else? There are extenuating circumstances if you're in first place by a whole lot. If you are in, like, sixth place and you have no real chance of winning the league, you're, not, you're, you're still not going to win the league. But, you know, in that case, I, you might even fall out of the playoffs. But to me, you're actually in... You need to be gunning for a top-two seed in your head-to-head league. Not playing in one round of your playoffs increases your odds of winning money dramatically, assuming that second place actually gets money as well, because then you only need to win one round of the playoffs to get to cash. You win two rounds, you win more cash, but you win one round, you get to the finals, and even if you lose there, you still end up with profit. So top two seeds has to be the first priority for your head-to-head league during the regular season. Everything else kind of takes a backseat to that, which I think is where we get into this particular discussion of, okay, well, you know, if I take zeros from this guy who's number 75 on the season for four weeks, but I actually have him for the eight weeks after that, is it worth it? And the answer to that is not really. It costs you more than it gains you 
even if your team ends up being decent for those last eight weeks, you'd be better off picking up a free agent or basically streaming that roster slot, trying to find someone who's like, I don't know, inside the top 100 for all uh, all 12 of those weeks, if you can do it. And if not, you just maximize the roster slot. Someone's probably going to pop up over that stretch that you'll want to have on your team anyway, and you probably needed a roster slot to do it. So ruthless. Be ruthless is the answer to this. Well, what if we extend it a little bit farther? This is only half a season. What if we say it's a little bit more than half a season and put it four months remaining on your uh, your regular season? That's about 58-ish games if we're saying it's about... Uh, what did we say here? It's about uh, 16... No, that didn't seem right. Uh, 15-ish, 15 games a month, like 14, 15 games a month, a little over three-ish games per week in a normal season. So this year with four months under your belt, it's going to be bigger because it was like three and a half games a week. It was basically a game every other day. So four months here, you're going to get close to 60 games on a regular season. Four months, you're probably going to be looking at more like 55 games. So fine, whatever. Uh, let's let's dial it back by one week on this year so that the maximum number of games over those four months is about 55 games. So that's what we're working with here. So now there's 55 games left in your fantasy regular season. Where do the cutoffs move now? Someone missing eight weeks. Again, we're going to pull about 26 or so games out of whatever number we're talking about. So 26 games under 55 would be about 29 in this instance. So who played about 29 games out of their team's first 55? Oddly enough, it was C.J. McCollum again, who at this point was now number 23 by averages and missing eight weeks over that stretch drops him down to number 106 by totals. But that actually puts him right on the cut line. Okay, so now the bar is moving. With four months left in a regular season instead of only three months left, the cutoff for someone missing eight weeks is actually more like a second rounder instead of a top seven or top eight guy. Doesn't seem like a lot, but that's actually a really substantial amount. And we're starting to work our way towards that, okay, what if a guy's missing eight weeks with an entire season left? Then the cutoff was like top 50. But now you're starting to see how you can make these determinations. And it's not important that we do this for every stretch of games left in a season. We're not going to just line all these numbers up right now for you because this season is dynamic. Your team is going to be different every season. Uh, You're going to be in a, a unique circumstance every time someone gets hurt on your team. But this is just kind of something you can refer back to. So in a normal season with four months left, you're talking about roughly December 10th or so. So you're like seven or eight weeks into the season. There's about four months left. And if someone on your team in mid-December in a normal year was ruled out for two months, if they're not inside the top 30, you're probably dropping them. Seems insane, right? I mean, hopefully you won't have to do that. Hopefully that's a guy you could leave in your injured slot. But again, this is where you make those determinations. What if uh, CJ McCollum, well... He was. We, t- we talked about him being basically right on the cut line. So what if someone like a round later, like a Christian Wood, what if he got hurt and was listed out for two months 
on December 15th at the exact same time that someone well back of him was ruled out for four weeks, which one do you hang on to? This formula is basically how you do that. Are you guys curious what the answer to that exact question is? Well, Christian Wood was number 37 in 32 games, so he actually played about uh, about one week more than what we were looking at before. So he missed more like seven instead of eight weeks. And missing seven weeks for Christian Wood dropped him to number 119. So he was actually still just a little bit on the outside looking in there. And he was uh, right at the edge of the third round at number 37, so beginning of the fourth round uh, in on per-game value at that juncture. So he's already a pretty big question mark. Okay, Christian Wood, you're ruled out for seven or eight weeks, and I only got four months of my season left. What am I going to do here? You're going to be coming back near the All-Star break. Can I survive it? Well, I'm going to stick you on my injured slot. Great. Now, what if someone back of you is going to miss six? Well, no, screw that. Let's do four or five weeks, which, again, would be more like 12 to 15, eh, somewhere between 12 and like 17 games missed out of 55. So now we're looking at someone who played about 40 out of the 55 games. That's a good chunk back of Christian Wood, who fits that mold. I wish these numbers were a little bit easier to work with because we have to find an, an actual player that fits into that bucket. Um, LaMelo Ball played in 41 games. Kyle Lowry played in 40. Lonzo Ball played in 41. So it's a bunch of guys bunched up in the mid-50s on a per-game basis that missed, missed about four weeks. Of, uh, excuse me, I'm actually looking at this a little bit backwards. I was looking at totals already. Ah, ha, ha. Uh, so Kyle Lowry... Lamella Ball, Lonzo Ball, actually they were all sort of bunched up in the 50s there. If you switch them over to totals over that same stretch. Now where do we go here? Kyle Lowry falls to 80, Ball 78. Now those guys were only missing about four weeks instead of uh, five or six. And they were also higher than I was looking at. But the answer to that question is you drop Christian Wood. If you had... And again, don't, don't think about this in terms of what actually happened this year because I'm just pulling a chunk of about four months of basketball. We're running our numbers off of that. In this particular instance, a top 55 guy was slated to miss a month and a top 35 guy was slated to miss closer to two months. You're actually dropping the 35, not the 55. That 55 guy is going to be back soon enough to have a bigger positive impact on your team or a lesser negative impact on your team as it turns out. So this is what I want us thinking about next year when we're making those critical decisions because I really don't think you can take zeros if you're gunning for those top two seeds. I gave up way too many weeks to zeros in head-to-head leagues this year. You can get away with that stuff in Roto. You can have these guys sitting on your bench forever because we've talked about it before. You fill in the missing games with Dante DiVincenzo's or better. Those games still happen. It's not a zero forever. It's just you put someone else in place of whatever that guy was going to give you, so you want the better per-game numbers whenever you can get them, provided you can sit on a particular player for a while. And that, I think, finally now puts a lid on this particular discussion. I hope that was illuminating. We will be using this info from late May of 2021 next year, When guys start to get hurt, 
We'll talk about it in, in that context. Opening day, someone gets hurt. Okay, what's the timeline? All right, well, what, what do we expect them to do? Is this someone we can hang on to? Is it not? There you go. We've got our base now. We've got our foundation for how we're going to do these calculations going forward. Uh, enjoy the ball games tonight, everybody. Check out the wager pass over at hoop-ball.com if you want to see some of our best bets from Brew, myself, Devin, Troy. The list goes on and on. These guys are fantastic. Blake, uh, if I try to list everybody, I'll end up missing one person, and then I'll feel particularly bad about it. Uh, but we got Brew on a big old heater. Devin had like 13 baseball plays yesterday, which is absolutely nuts. But he ended up up money because he hit a big old parlay in the middle of it. I love it. Wager pass. It's 33 cents a day at hoop-ball.com. Get that because you've got that or DFS right now because full season fantasy is snooze buttoning here for the offseason. But we're not at Fantasy NBA Today. Thanks for listening, everybody. Rate and review the pod. Check out manscaped.com with promo code hoopball20 and mybookie.ag. Hit me up on that one before you do anything over at my bookie. Hit me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. I'll get you hooked up, guys. I'm promising you it'll be worth your while. Come on down. And there's the baby screaming at me. <laughs> oh, bad dad alert today. All right, guys, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.